We read the scripture as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to see you today in the room and those watching online. Can we welcome those that are online watching? So good. Uh, I want to say thank you to the many, many of you who have been praying for us over the last couple of weeks as we've kind of come back to health a little bit. Those who sent cards and meals and all the just wonderful things. I, I told my wife last week we were watching the service online, and I cried the entire service at home. And I told her I think that the breathing treatment that has the steroids was all estrogen. I, I, I think... <laughs> They gave me the wrong stuff, uh, but it's good to, good to be back. Hey, I want to introduce you to somebody uh, right over here is uh, Pastor Dale Jenkins from New World Worship Center in Concord. Can you welcome him? Uh, Amber and I served on staff there for nine years. Pastor Dale is also one of our overseeing elders. If you're like, well, what's one of those? Go to our central hub, click on the About Us. It'll tell you all about what our elders do here and with us. And it's just a joy to have him here with us this week. And then next week, he's going to be here bringing a message, and it's going to be life-changing for sure. So uh, don't, don't miss out on that. Well, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18. 
and also 1 John verse one, uh, chapter 1. So two spots of scripture, we're going to hit them at the top and at the bottom of today's uh, conversation. So we talk a little bit about intimacy today. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 18 says this, you shall not commit adultery. Let's pray. Lord, it's your word, so it is true. It's your word, so there's life behind it. Lord, it's your word, so may it transform us today. Lord, we we set aside our cultural perceptions. We set aside our personal preferences, and we ask that your word would speak life to us today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Everybody said? Amen. I grew up in what has been dubbed, quote-unquote, purity culture. Uh, A lot of great intent behind it, but also uh, maybe some uh, misguided application along the way. It it was uh, a time and a season in the world of Christendom where uh, everything was hush, hush, right? Like the body is bad the spirit is good. And that was an oversimplification of a overarching message. It was this idea that uh, when it came to sexuality, when it came to your body, we don't talk about it. It's evil. It's dirty. It's bad. It's filthy. It's sinful. So save it for the one person you love the most. There was this idea that purity and holiness were these lines that you crossed at your own peril of damnation, and the line always moved. I really do believe that uh, purity and holiness are directions we move with our life more than they're lines that we cross in our actions. And I believe that God's design and desire for humanity, for our um, intimacy, for our, our even um, the, the Christian sexual ethic has a high, high view of the body and a high, high view of emotional involvement and a high, high view of the spiritual implications for it. But we live in a society and a cultural moment in time where all of the things that I grew up with have completely flipped the script. And they're opposite today, where sexuality and our bodies are just another commodity to exchange to find our own personal satisfaction whenever we want, in whatever context we want, at whatever pace we want it. And we live with a society where it treats something holy and sacred and beautiful, and we've turned it into a primal appetite where we are slave to the cravings that we have, and there's nothing we can do about it but eat and be merry as we pursue our own self-satisfaction and holiness. But God of the Bible and Scripture, we come to it, and it paints a different picture. And, And behind the the clear boundaries of you shall not commit adultery is a principle of intimacy. See, God designed us for intimacy. He designed us for for joy and enjoyment. He designed us for a, 
a close connection that is spirit, soul, body involved. It is not just some hushed, hushed thing. We, we serve a God who invented the big O. It was his idea. We serve a God who, um, I believe, created something wonderful and holy and beautiful, and it's his, so it ought to be talked about in his context and from his perspective. And the seventh commandment is trying to communicate to us a principle of intimacy. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to use this word intimacy kind of in two ways, and it's up to you to pay attention to the context with which I am using the word to know how to apply the meaning of the word, okay? I'm going to use it in a context that indicates that act that is for married people, okay? And I'm going to use it as a deep, rich, emotional, true, authentic connection that is better understood when we break it down, intimacy is into me, you see. Invitation to be fully known, to be fully present, to be fully seen and known and loved, and to have a connection, spirit, soul, and, and body. I believe every relationship that we have, every human relationship that we have should be authentic. We should be authentically us in every relationship. But not every relationship is intimate and transparent. Let me give you some examples. I believe you ought to be authentically you and be the, the, the true you with your boss. But you don't need to talk about all your other dysfunctions with your boss. There are some subjects you just don't need to talk about. There's appropriate conversations and conversations based on level of trust, level of relationships. Those are those kinds of things, right? A second date is probably not the time to air all of your historical baggage. Appropriateness just for a minute. Be authentically you, but you don't have to be all transparent about everything. It's only a second date, my friends. There's appropriate levels, but what I think that we need to understand, and, and young people in the room, I hope you'll hear me very clearly when I say this. What you do to win a friend is what you must continue to perform to do to keep that friend. So young people, you need to be authentically you rather than pretending to be a you you think everyone will like because that's not setting you up for healthy friendships, setting you up for disaster and tiring relationships. Let me take it to another level as it relates to your relationship with God. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you, and God doesn't love the you you like to pretend to be. God loves the you that he likes about you. He loves the real you. See, that's the God that we serve, and I believe that God designed intimacy in marriage as a symbol for his strong desire for us relationally. It's designed as a mirror reflection of passion and wholeheartedness and full pursuit that God longs for us. And all through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the word adultery is used metaphorically to talk about when the nation and the people of God 
turned their attention and their affection away from God. And so this command of you shall not commit adultery, it is really an invitation from God into an intimate relationship with God just as much as it is an invitation and a healthy boundary in the context of one man, one woman, in the confines of marriage union. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Look at, look at this uh, picture of passionate pursuit for just a minute. In Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 22, it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. Why a rib instead of an ankle bone? Well, I believe because God designed us in unison and partnership of equal responsibility in our world, not as one dominating over the other. That's why I think it's a rib, because it fits together perfectly like peanut butter and jelly. And he brought her to the man. Don't miss that. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You can cross-reference this in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus himself validates and affirms the creation narrative that we have in Genesis when Jesus says, don't you re read in scripture where God created them gendered specifically male and genderedly specifically female? And the two shall become one. They will leave one relationship known as mother-father relationship, and they will instead be united and joined together as one flesh. And what God has brought together, no one should be trying to tear that apart. This word united, everybody say united. Come on, type it in the chat, united. In, the, in, in Genesis, it's a Greek, or excuse me, a Hebrew word, Dabak. So everybody say Dabak. You spoke a little Hebrew. Congratulations today. It means this. It means to pursue with passion and full devotion. United. We think of it as just together. No, no, no. It actually has much greater meaning. It means to pursue with passion and be fully, wholeheartedly, singularly devoted. There's something so holy and valuable about this husband-wife relationship that, that God says, I think you, you need to understand it's so good, it's so holy, it's so wonderful, it's such a blessing that you need to be able to leave other valuable relationships and make it a primary, singular, wholehearted, most important human relationship moving. It's not just something to make you happy. It's something that helps you fully experience God. There's something so holy and wonderful about these relationships. There is no cubic zirconium of marriage. No, no, only beautiful. You can't keep pretending to be married, but you ain't really married. There, there's no knockoffs. 
And everything, every intimate pursuit outside of the context of husband and wife, man, woman, in the bounds of marriage is out of bounds and a false, cheap substitute. I don't care how good you think you are at it. Still not God's best. I brought some illustrations to help us today. Meet Freddie and meet Fran. Freddie and Fran, we shall call them. Or Adam and Eve, if you want to get biblical, fine. Scripture says in Genesis that God created man, and then he created woman from the man, and he brought them, what does it say? Face to face. Brought them together. He brought her to the man. Face to face. They left father and mother. Now they will be united together. Now they are united. They are now pursuing one another with passion and full devotion. They are face to face. This is the picture of intimacy. This is the picture of into me you get to see. This is the picture of God's design for relationship. This is the picture of what it looks like to be married, uh, one man and one woman, this pursuit of each other where your direction is facing one another, not facing a different direction. United, together, as one, face to face. But, but there are some... Uh, things that try to come in the way of what God designed. There are some things that try to break apart the intimacy, break apart God's design, and, and cause us to move in different directions. See, there's something called insecurity that shows up. Uh, scripture says that when sin entered into the world, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve were no longer naked and unashamed. They were naked and very ashamed. And they tried to cover it all up and insecurity began to creep in. And insecurity shows up in every one of your relationships. And when insecurity starts showing up, you start to hide things. You start to assume wrong motivations of each other. You, you start to assume the worst possible. He said one thing, but I know he meant something else because he couldn't have meant what, what he said. He had to mean something else and he was being mean to me and I know what he meant and he ain't getting none and he's sleeping on the couch soon and wait till time to cook dinner and insecurity causes us to what? Face a different direction. And we start filling in the narratives and become paralyzed by fear in a relationship and intimacy is broken and lost on some level. And, and then creeps in its close cousin of insecurity known as Idealism. Idealism is the picture of perfection that we throw in our mind. It's the picture that, that gets distorted because we've spent too many hours scrolling on Instagram and we think we know what the picture-perfect relationship is supposed to look like. We think we know what the picture-perfect body is supposed to look like because we've been on Instagram and we see what those things look like. And then, and then we start building up a fantasy of what it looks like in our minds to have the perfect kind of relationship. And then, then we settle in because we, we, we've, we live with this ideal world. We think ideal 
ideally, we'll get together and practice intimacy because we need to work the kinks out as if it's something that is broken and you can perfect in one try. And we think that ideally we're just going to live with a hookup culture and we're just going to hook up and do what we need to and we'll learn how to commit later. And then we figure out, well, I can just, I, I think ideally we'll get married when we have the right date and I have the perfect dress picked out and the perfect, and we have the money to get married. But until then, ideally, we'll just play house. And do married people things while not being married. And we call it okay. And we're in the same relationship. But because of insecurity and idealism, we're actually facing a different direction. And we're not really united anymore. You know, it's interesting that in the garden, the Bible never says the garden was perfect. It says God created it good. But when sin showed up, we started to crave and pass over what was good for a pursuit of what we thought would be perfect in our own eyes. Crossing over it, trying to pursue our own happiness. I'm going to read you a quote from A.J. Swoboda in his book, After Doubt. He says this, he says, the sin of idealism is that it demands things be better than God made them, and we reject anything that falls short of Friends, we aren't settling for what God says is good. We think we can figure it out ideally on our own, but the problem is our idealism and our insecurity is helping us pursue something perfect that doesn't exist in our mind, but only in our minds. Since when is it the best pursuit in our life? to pursue better than good. If God says this is what is good, why do we feel the need to try to find what is perfect? When God says, no, this is good, and it's blessed. It's good, and it's blessed. And our idealism and our insecurity cause us to turn the wrong direction, and then we begin to live out adulterous actions against the name of the one whom we claim to follow. Look at how the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Everybody say flee. It's anything, any act of intimacy outside of the context of husband and wife in marriage. Anything outside of that, flee run from it. Don't sit in the dark corner of the movie theater and hope you'll escape at the right plan. No, 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 no. Have a pre-plan on how to flee, young person. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person would commit, they, they commit outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. There's a different consequence to these kinds of sins, he says. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is inside of you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with it. Listen, 
what we do with our bodies can be damaging to ourselves and those around us. I want to be, I'm going to say something that, that might shock you, but I want you to hang on and, and listen to, to the words that I'm about to say. If God is not God over the area of our sexuality, then the only person left to be God in that area is us. And sexual acts become acts of worship unto ourself. But when we live out a biblical ethic in this area, instead with our bodies, we are living a bodied testimony of Jesus and his resurrection and power and that God has good gifts that await us because we are honoring God with our bodies. There's something on the other side of it for us. Now don't take just, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, that is so old school. That's so old thinking. I mean, it's so biblical. I mean, for real, come on. That's, that's not how things are done anymore, Pastor. Don't you watch TikTok? So, so old-fashioned. Let, let me tell you how science backs up what the Bible says. There's uh, been a neuroscience uh, research on uh, a chemical in your brain called vasopressin. When two people have sexual intercourse, the brain releases a rush of chemicals called vasopressin. Those chemicals are the brain's way of helping people, quote-unquote, bond to each other so that they might solidify a nurturing cooperative relationship that sustains life. However, when someone has multiple partners, the vasopressant receptors in the brain stop working the way they're supposed to. They burn out. And neuroscience shows us that the human brain is wired for bonding and that promiscuity inhibits one's capacity for life-giving, long-term relationships. Why? Because the man shall leave his father and mother and is designed to be united, pursue passionately, facing each other, wholehearted devotion. And there are chemicals in your brain in that monogamous place of beauty before the Lord your brain is wired to recognize this is my place. This is my person. This is God's gift to me. That's a good place to say amen. And when we begin to live incarnationally, the teachings of Jesus, when we begin to live it his way, when we begin to live out his way, he helps us reclaim an intimacy not only with him, but with the person that God has brought into our lives moving forward. Friends, not only is God interested in the holiness of your intimacy and your sexuality, but God is a God who knows how to restore wholeness back into your intimacy and sexuality. 
He is big enough and he is good enough and he is God. And part of that wholeness and holiness comes when we take the word of God and put it in our lives and we begin to live out incarnationally a life that reflects the truth and the ethic of what he says is good instead of pursuing what our world says is perfectly fine for you and for me. Friends, what we allow internally determines where we go externally. Let me give it to you visually. Where we go internally in our minds turns us in a direction to move externally with our life. Let me say it another way. Where we go internally with our minds causes us to go externally with our lives. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, um, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully has already committed adultery with them in their heart. This is if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body and live with an eye patch for the rest of your life than have your whole body thrown into hell. Why? Because what you do with your body matters. And what you do with the internal workings of your life determine what ends up happening externally with your life. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Teens, listen to me very closely. What we listen to right now the songs we're listening to, the shows that we watch where it's just acceptable romance playing out in our eyes allow thoughts to grow in our minds and it awakens something that Song of Solomon says, don't you awaken desire until it's time. Moms and dads, we need to be aware of what we're allowing to just play on the screens in our homes. Husbands and wives, we need to be aware of the things that we're letting play out in our homes and in our lives. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It's a very interesting verse. It says this. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. Here's the picture. Vineyards are in bloom. It's a picture of romance and love and intimacy in a relationship. The little foxes are the things that you think are cute and harmless and, oh, that's no big deal. Oh, no, that's just a song. It's no big deal. Oh, that's... It's just a text message. It's no big deal. It's just somebody that I used to date like 20 years ago. It's no big deal. 
It's my phone. I can clear the web browser. It's no big deal. Catch for us, the little foxes, the, it's no big deal. Because they're ruining the vineyard that you're supposed to drink from and enjoy. The love that is meant to intoxicate you for the rest of your life is being sabotaged by the little foxes that are no big deal. They're no big deal. It's just a little, just something. It's no big deal. Friends, the, the reality is this is a bit of a weighty thought process for many of us. And it, it's weighty because you know maybe you've been living in an ideal world because you grew up in a home that was ransacked by someone else's infidelity and inappropriateness. And you're left trying to figure out what is my ideal for my relationship. Friends, your ideal is God's ideal. It's God's best. It's his way. It's better. It's just better. Some of you are hearing the weight of this and you... You know firsthand the pain of what it looks like to have a partner who promises till death do us part only. They got distracted and they had infidelity and they chose to cheat and they committed adultery and you're left with the pain of it all. Some of you are sitting in a room and you're like, I know there are some little foxes and it's destroying me, but I'm too afraid to tell my spouse. And I'm believing that today you're going to have the courage to actually do that. Because you can't be into me, you see, with secrets in your life. And there's no, no secret, no pain, no past, no brokenness, no habit that God can't restore and make whole Again, there's not a single one, friends. Look at 1 John chapter, five, chapter 1, starting in verse 5. He writes, he says, This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and we are declaring it to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, Yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, authentic, honest, open, confessional, if we live in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But if we claim to have no sin, that's not a sin. That's no big deal. It's just normal. If we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from every act of unrighteousness. 
But if we claim to have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, how do we begin to experience the restoration? Three things. Number one, we start with repentance. We start with repentance. It resets our posture and allows forgiveness to begin to flow into our lives. God can restore you to wholeness and intimacy. Don't don't miss the biblical understanding of, of repentance. You know what repentance is? It has an element of contrition and confession and acknowledgement of sin. But here's basically what repentance means. To change your mind and go a different direction. To stop facing away from the relationship that you need, i.e. your relationship with God and the relationship with maybe a spouse and to start facing the right relationship with God and the person that he's given to you. That's all repentance means. There is some contrition involved. There is some confession involved. And it returns us back to God. We repent. Second, begin to rebuild the guardrails. Somebody say rebuild. Rebuild the guardrails. What are the guardrails? The guardrails are the protective pre-decisions in your life. There are apps you need to delete. There are contacts you need to remove from your phone. There are people that you need to unfollow and unfriend silently on social media because they ain't nothing but a temptation to look in the wrong direction. It's about reestablishing the guardrails, getting safety parameters on your phone. It's about refusing to pay for a subscription to a video service if you can't control yourself or have your spouse put parental controls on all the accounts and not tell you the password. Do whatever it takes to rebuild the guardrails. If you're living together, pastor, is living together a sin? No, having sex before you're married is a sin. So if you can't live in the same house and not do the hanky-panky, find some new guardrails. Every wedding I do, I sit down with the couples and I give them that exact same conversation. I say, God doesn't want to bless the you you're pretending to be. God wants to bless the you that you want to be and who you really are. So how about we treat this like holy and righteous and good and we do it God's way now so that we're practicing for God's way later. Because you know what we're doing right now? Any secrets that we keep right now in our lives, anything that we're doing that's secretive, where we're sneaking around, we are developing an appetite for secrecy and sneaking around later. And when things feel stale and stuck, that appetite and that craving that you have been telling yourself is okay, it becomes the thing that you think you need to return the excitement that you thought you had once. And it's just a cheap substitute. And God says, I actually want to bless you and honor you, and I've got something really good for you. I just want you to honor me in the process. What are the guardrails you need to build back up in your life? Who are the friends that you need to maybe say goodbye to for a season? Because all they're doing is filling your head with some filth that isn't helpful. 
Rebuild your guardrails. Number three, start to replant your vineyard. That means start to live a holy life. That means for those who are married, start pursuing with passion and a wholehearted devotion again, the person that God has given you, that he's brought into your life. Begin to pursue yet again. Stoke the fire of the right flame. Replant your vineyard. Friends, whenever we live in the dark, sin grows. Whenever we live in the light, God's blessing and his fellowship of intimacy abounds. Feeling disconnected from God lately? It's possible you've started facing the wrong direction. And God wants to return back to you face to face again. It may just mean that there's some repentance that needs to occur, some guardrails you need to rebuild. And God wants to replant a vineyard of love and intimacy with you personally so that your relationship with him can flourish and grow. When the internal areas of our life need to be kept secret, you know what we end up doing? We build facades and hide behind it instead of opening doors for authentic hospitality in our lives. You wanna know why some of you don't like having people in your home? Because you have a lot of secrets you're not really proud of yet. And you don't feel like you can be authentically known. And so you live behind a facade instead. How about we start coming to the Lord with repentance and get to be authentically us? we get to live open and honest before man, which allows us to have fellowship with one another. And he makes us pure and righteous. He makes us clean on the inside. And we get to grow in him and be known by him. Amen. Let's stand. And let's come to the table of the Lord together today. Those of you at home, I hope you'll just quiet your environment. Those here in the room, go ahead and open the top layer, pull out the little wafer, and then go ahead and open up the next layer, get that out of the way, all that loud noise, so we can just for a minute sit with the Lord and hold on to both of these. Would you bow your heads just for a minute? Just look internally for a minute. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Is there some repentance that needs to occur? Is there a conversation with your spouse? Maybe you need to talk to a connect group leader this week about some things. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there anything I need to repent of? the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there guardrails I need to rebuild in my life? Would you show me what those are? Holy Spirit, would you help me to rebuild 
an intimate vineyard with you this week. Lord, today many of us have acknowledged a confession before you. Lord, we want to be united with you. We want to be one that pursues you like you pursue us. One that is wholehearted in our devotion to you like we know you are wholehearted in your devotion towards us. Today, God, as we come to the table where we take the bread, which represents your body, which was broken for us, as we take it, may we take it as an act of faith, knowing that you're healing the brokenness we feel today. Thank you for that healing, Jesus. Let's take the bread together. Lord, as we get ready to take the cup, which represents your blood that poured out. Lord, it's your blood that cleanses us from unrighteousness. It's your blood today that makes us pure on the inside, washing and wiping away every stain of past. Lord, today as we receive the cup, we are receiving and declaring your forgiveness and our desire to walk in the light with you through your spirit and power. In Jesus' name, let's take the juice. If you'll just hang right there with those cups, we'll, you'll be able to collect them on your, give them uh, to the host on your way out. Let me pray a prayer over us today. Father, we thank you that we can walk in repentance. We can come and say, God, this is sin. It's the wrong way. We want to go the right way. We can walk in the light with you. God, walking in the light is so much better than walking, hiding in the dark. Today, Lord, I pray that where there are conversations that need to occur, Lord, you would give us boldness to have them. Where there are things in our heart, in our life that we need to get right, you would help us to do those. And God, I pray that more than anything, we would feel your passion and your pursuit for us this week. Your love and your deep desire for us to have a good relationship with you and with the people around us. We thank you for it. We ask you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And all the people of God said, Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're 
If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.